Please be seated and let's turn our attention to God's Word and I'll invite our scripture reader to come forward. Please be seated and let's receive the reading of God's Word. All right, please have a seat. Sister Wendy will read our scripture for us. Good morning, church. Today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, have become a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Indeed, thanks be to God. Thanks. Glad to be before you uh, again, bringing God's word today. My name is Yancey. I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor Duke, and uh, we're delighted to open up these nominations uh, for our leaders. Uh, exciting time. I just want to encourage you to pray as well. Um, pray for those preparing for that. Pray, pray for uh, those that God will raise up. Uh, we will continue this morning in our study of Colossians. Uh, as, as we saw last week, uh, we saw the supremacy of Christ through Scripture and how Christ is ruler over all and he feels all in all. And today, it's, it's like Paul just zeroes in on the Colossians believers to help them remember these key components of who they are, who they were, who they are, and who they will be. And he encourages them towards persevering in the faith. Before we dive all the way in, let me say a word of prayer. Jesus, Lord, I remember the song from earlier, how much we sang about our need for you. And we do, Lord, in so many ways, ways that we don't even know. Uh, so we thank you for your tenderness towards your people this morning, God, that you are the one who is quick to come to us, to be with us. You bring us to, to yourself so that you may be present with us and that our hearts and minds may be confirmed all over again about your precious promises to us. Thank you for being such a precious Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Bubbles. Yesterday, um, you know, there are lots of things to get into. Uh, there are sports on TV, and there are parties around the city, and there are bubbles that down here on Georgia Avenue, maybe from Missouri uh, Avenue all the way down to Florida Avenue, uh, there was an open street. You can go out and ride your bikes, play ball, or do whatever you like on the open street. So me and my kids, we rode down um, Georgia Avenue. We didn't get far because we came to the bubbles right there at the intersection of Kansas and Georgia. And I thought we were going to have a longer bike ride, but we didn't. 
So they stopped there and they dove in uh, along, along with the Davis's kids. And, and after a while, they began to be covered in bubbles to the degree that we couldn't see them anymore. It's like, where are they? Covered from head to toe, my son rode down looking for us. Uh, he did not see his sisters at all. They were covered in bubbles. And so it was so much fun to see that, just engrossed in those bubbles. They were kind of magic. We, we, kind of, we didn't understand why they weren't so slippery. I don't know why. But anyway, as I was preparing for this, I began to think, wow, what a, what a picture of how we are in a broken world and how we are all in. You know, we're in this world. And we experience sickness, suffering, and sin. It's all around us. It's in us. We go through it. We commit our own sins. We, we are sick at times. And it's suffering. And we are all in it, and it's all encompassing. And sometimes it's, it's tiring, definitely distracting, inside and out. And so Paul here is writing to the Colossians believers, and he's reminding them. He reminded them to remember the gospel, to remember who they were, to remember who Christ is, and to remember God's promises to them. Because, you know, it's hard to know the state of every believer's heart. So we need these reminders of the gospel. And so Paul recognizes that they need assurance to believe when life challenges seem unbearable and overwhelming. So the Apostle Paul encourages the Colossians through these short verses here. He encourages them to remember that Jesus is the reconciling hope proclaimed in the world. We see this in verse 23. He encourages them not to shift from the hope of the gospel that they heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister not shifting away from the hope of the gospel that was planted in their hearts, that was shared to them through Epaphras and maybe others that they grew in, not shifting away from what they heard with their ears and confirmed within their hearts when God brought faith into their hearts to believe. And this is the gospel that Paul is saying is going about the world unhindered. It is spreading throughout the known world during that time, all creation under heaven. And that shows that there's something real about this gospel. Uh, there's something that, that God is doing as well. God is reconciling people to himself. And Paul recognized that he is a minister of the gospel. And he became a minister of the gospel not willingly. Jesus was the one who sort of knocked him down and hit him upside the head and opened his eyes to who he is on the road to Damascus. And he realized that it was only through Christ that he was saved. It's only through Christ that he had been given the, this message of reconciliation to teach others about the reconciling love of Christ. It was only something that God did through him while he was dead, running away from God. But there, through this passage, I just want to take a quick look at about four things here today uh, that we must remember. We must re remember our previous separation. 
our present reconciliation, our promised glorification, and our preserving participation. What is the evidence of their previous separation? The Colossians were estranged from God. Paul says here in verse 21, and you were once alienated. They were as strangers to God and disowned by God. They were in a state of darkness outside of the light of God. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Since they belong to one another, since they belong to another rather, their ears were tuned to another's voice and they could not hear the voice of God. That's where they were. So it's the same in our day as it as for those that walked once walked in darkness that have come near to God by his grace. They were estranged from God and they were also enemies of God. I mean, I feel like we should say, ooh, at that point, enemies of God. Paul continues in verse 21 by saying, and you once were hostile in mind. God was their chief adversary. They not only had visceral hate towards God, they intended on harming God. And eventually, the people did, crucifying our Lord. Their minds were contrary to the mind and will of God. Romans 1 classifies this type of mindset as exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. In that state, there is an inability to have a renewed mind because they do not have the mind of God. Many that are hostile in mind major on scheming thoughts against God and find delight as God's personal enemies all the time. They would rather stand on what they think is right and no other way since at all times their minds are occupied with pleasing themselves. Perhaps this combative mind easily gives into cognitive distortions. Here are some, uh, a few common distorted thoughts that I gather from Psych Central. As I begin to think about this, I'm like, that, yeah, that, that's kind of like cognitive distortions. You know, you can't renew your own mind. You're just going down this way of being selfish. One of them is filtering. Mental filtering is draining and straining all positives in a situation and instead dwelling on its negatives. An example, it's performance review time at your company. And your manager compliments your hard work several times. In the end, they make one improvement suggestion. You leave the meeting feeling miserable and dwell on one suggestion all day long. Mad. Or another one is all or nothing thinking. Polarized thinking is thinking about yourself and the world in, all, in an all or nothing way. Engaging in thoughts of black and white, 
An example is this. Your coworker was a saint until she ate your sandwich. Now you can't stand her. Or you got a B on your last test, so you have failed at being a good student despite only getting A's before that. This is one of my favorite. Can't say I engaged in this one. Blaming. Blaming refers to making others responsible for how you feel. You made me feel bad is what usually defines this cognitive distortion. However, even when others engage in hurtful behaviors, you're still in control of how you feel in most situations. An example of this, a friend comments on your new outfit and you feel upset for the rest of the day. You make me feel bad about myself, you tell them. What do these distortions have in, have in common? They're all combative. It's a, it's a them against me perspective and attitude. If this is the way one treats their neighbor, it is the same with God. The Colossians were estranged from God. They were enemies of God. They were evildoers. In the same verse 21, Paul says, And you once were doing evil deeds. These evil works are an extension of their hostile minds. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul gives his spiritual son, Timothy, further understanding of this. This is what Paul says, but understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We feel it, don't we? For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasing, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, avoid such people that are bent on doing these evil deeds. Evil deeds do not have the power of God working through them. Some of these works may look appealing and most helpful, but the core has a man-centeredness instead of a God-man-centeredness who is Christ. We are encouraged through Ephesians 5, to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead to expose them. Paul wrote this letter to brothers and sisters in the city of Colossae. I'm sure that situation is quite similar to ours. Every day we face, we're faced with these challenges of estranged relationships. Perhaps some of you have done all that you can do to salvage a broken relationship with a housemate, co-worker, or a friend, it's just not going anywhere. You have thought it through, all the implications. You've written the final letter. While you wait on a response, you wonder, is it worth it? Others may worry that they haven't done enough. It's too painful to consider if your schoolmate has placed you in the position of an enemy in their hearts. If you care, you wonder, what could I have done to her? Will we be friends again? When you realize that your neighbor has yet again blocked your driveway, when you ask them not to, you seriously begin to wonder, is this dude a spiteful evildoer? Perhaps there's all or nothing thinking. 
Paul makes it clear that the separation the Colossians once had is no more. It's done away with. He states in verses 13 and 14 that God has delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God. Jesus was the one. Jesus was the one who was estranged from God on the cross. Jesus became an enemy to God when he became sin on the cross. The father turned his face away. Jesus hung in a place of evildoers on the cross, even though he committed no sin. It is at the cross where we reside today in Jesus, our past, present, and future sin is wiped away. We were once separated from God, but now we have been brought near to God. Presently, we stand before God reconciled by Christ. Amen. Amen. So we must remember our reconciliation, our present reconciliation to God. Paul says he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. God is the subject of reconciliation here. He accomplishes this by Christ. Paul is making the point that the Colossians were as good as dead when God decided to reconcile them to himself by Christ. They didn't have anything to do with it. Through Jesus, we are reconciled to God right now because of his death and resurrection. This is how one Scottish theologian put it, James Denny. The work of reconciliation in the sense of the New Testament is a work which is finished and which we must conceive to be finished before the gospel is preached. It is the good tidings of the gospel which, with which the evangelists go forth that God has worked in Christ a work of reconciliation, which avails for no less than the world and which a whole world may benefit. You see, the work of reconciliation is not a work upon the souls of men. It's not something that we have done, but it is in our interest. It is a work outside of us in which God so deals with Christ, with the sin of the world, that it shall no longer be a barrier between himself and men. Reconciliation in the New Testament sense is not something which is being done. It is, it is something which is done. According to Hebrews 9, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus, as the sacrifice of God, paid the penalty of death that was deserved because of our sin. The Apostle John states, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus removed us from the wrath of God that we deserved and suffered the eternal wrath of God on our behalf. Mark tells us Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our redeemer. He delivered us sinners from bondage to, to sin and to Satan. 
we were sinners separated from God. Jesus provided reconciliation, the removal of enmity from God that was to our accounts. And Jesus brought us back into fellowship with God. Instead of being estranged, you are a son or a daughter today. Instead of being an enemy, you are a friend of God. As we sing, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Instead of being evildoers, you now do the will of God. Straining forward. It is your delight to do the will of God. We don't always get it right. He helps us in every way. But now it's our delight. We lean into it. Joy's husband spent years, decades in bondage to alcoholism. She lost so much and watched him lose time. He lost memories. And for a season, he lost his family. He was there. Fully, she was there, fully aware and taking the brunt of the blows that were direct result of the rebellion and struggle. She said his surrendering to the Lord was indeed a magnificent answer to decades of prayer, but it was also slightly unsettling. After all they had, after all he had put me through, she said, it was difficult to simply move forward. I wanted and needed to understand the multitude of my wounds. So there were decades to unpack, and we needed help. As they entered into intensive counseling for a period of time, they got to the core of their wounds. God, she said, is a compassionate God. And he didn't ask that I forget, forget or ignore my pain. Instead, she faced it. Years later, she says, we're so grateful for the tears and the heart anguish, for without them, we would have no concept of the great love, compassion, and mercy the Father has lavished upon us. There are stories like joys out, out here, and then there are many that are not like hers at all. It does take years, years Years, years to stay in the reconciling hope from one to another. We can speak about how God moves away the barriers of, of sin, but we still have to walk through a world filled with sickness, suffering, and sin. Even if we know that nothing is wasted, not even years in the dark valley, it's still very difficult to trust God in those moments. Like a roller coaster ride, in the dark, Space Mountain. You're securely attached when you make this sharp turn and the deep dives that make your stomach drop. The comfort is knowing in the roller coaster of life that God is your friend. God is your friend. God is not against you. Since he has reconciled each of us in Christ to himself, we are brought together in one body where Christ is the head. Even when we've had times of refresh, refreshing fellowship and stand with one another through tough situations, we still look at one another at times with suspicious eyes. We are hurt in relationships, and because God is our friend, our, the reconciler of our soul, 
He's teaching us how to be healed through them as well. Because Christ, Christ has reconciled us to God and to one another. Paul encourages the Colossians to remember their past separation to God, their present reconciliation, and now their promised glorification. Paul states in verse 22, God reconciled the Colossians by Christ in order, here's the purpose, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The first thing we would notice is that we are set apart. God is presenting us to himself, making, rendering us before himself. The Colossians are set apart before God. As God stands, as Christ stands bodily before God, the church stand in him and will on, on the last day stand with him in our new promised body. Paul shares the same idea in Ephesians 5. Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might present, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or without wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The second purpose is to present the church spotless before him. She will be blameless and this was God's plan all along. We learn through Ephesians 1:4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in Him. The third purpose is that we have is that God wants to present us as people who are cleared of all sin. The church is meant to be above reproach, beyond accusation. Because we do have a chief adversary of our soul. And he lives daily to accuse us before the brethren, accuse us before one another. He wants to change our name to unlovely and unfit. But God has so declared that, no, I have saved you for glorification. I have set you apart for myself. You will be rendered spotless because of what Jesus has done. You will be above reproach without accusation because Christ has cleared it all on the cross. You know, the hurricane has swept through the southeast. Many of the cities lie in ruin. People have lost their lives. They've lost the former glory of some of the places that they had. They're gone now. As rescue teams gather and, and seek to rebuild what is torn down, it leaves a longing of the heart, a day when we don't have to worry about the storms anymore, a day when we don't have to worry about the storms of life. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who of your, who's your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's hard to imagine what that day will be like when Christ returns. How often do we look for it, though? For sure, there is a longing and a groaning, groaning for it. We look in the mirror. What do we see? Imperfections. We're not so spotless in our daily lives. The enemy of our soul accuses us of being sinful. If we believe these lies, we will forget the good work of God's promise. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be, will, will raise, be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Christ was the firstborn from among the dead. The power that raised Christ from the dead resides with the believers whom Christ will raise up glorious before him at his return. Paul encourages the Colossians to remember their past separation, their present reconciliation, their promised glorification, and lastly, persevere. Persevere. If you, if, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul encourages the believers to continue in the faith, which is a call to action. According to theologian G.K. Bill, he says persevering in faith is thus the basis for befitting from Christ as supreme over the new creation, which he mediates reconciliation to sinful and alienated people. The age-old question is this. If people do not persevere, what does that mean? Does that mean they have lost their salvation? What does that mean? Does that mean that they were pseudo-believers all along and never really benefited from the work? Take heart. If you are on the fence today about whether you are in Christ or not, take heart. Turn to the words of Christ. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You have eternal life if you trust that Jesus lived for you, died for you, was raised for you, intercedes for you even now. He sees you in all that you are. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. But Jesus fills our persevering hope. He is the hope. He is our great perseverance that goes before us and teaches us how to stay steadfast before God, unmovable, unwavering by his Holy Spirit. You know, James sat in class with his new friend, Mark. They, they became fond of each other through their theological studies. They had to figure out how to study. You know, it was difficult going through the seminary examinations. They came together under a, a common challenge, right? As they learned from each other about their past, they realized that their paths were very uncommon. James, a minister of the gospel who struggled to pay his way through Bible college and now seminary, Mark came from a family of means. He noticed that James did not stop. He did not give up on what he believed God had called him to, to be a minister of the gospel. He persevered. He had to work 
at times more than he studied. But after Mark inquired about this, lo and behold, James not only worked to pay his way through school, but he also had a significant amount of loan debt. After sharing this with Mark, that he owed $70,000 in student loans, Mark said, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. Friends, if you are in Christ, nothing will be able to interrupt the good work that Christ began in you. Perseverance is an act of faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. The evidence of being in Jesus is your daily action of repenting from your sin and trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Perseverance is recognizing that God is with you, that he paid the debt for your sin. If you have doubts about salvation, God assures you through your love for him and through your love for his people. Jesus persevered in this world on our behalf, and he was forsaken on the cross so that you and I would never be cast away from God. Look to the perseverance of Jesus. Look to the position he has taken in your life today. He is your all in all. What can you do aside from Jesus if he's your savior? Your house of hope is built on the rock. Who is Jesus? When the storms of life blows against your house, it will stand, for it is standing on the rock. Like the song says, all other grounds are sinking sand. Live in light of the good news, saints, that Jesus is your persevering hope. He will not take his spirit from you. We must believe in this. As we were, me and the girls were leaving from the, the bubble mountain, I noticed that this bubble foam was flying off my girls and we were a block away from home when I looked ahead and saw my eight-year-olds struggling to keep a bike up. She stumbled to the right and then to the left. Then she managed to stop her bike, but she fell. But she stopped herself from falling harder. The bubbles soaked her bike and made the grip of her handlebars loose that it slipped off. Of course, she was a bit afraid and sad, and I was too. I held her close. But you know what? This is what God does for you in a world filled with sickness, suffering, and sin. He watches over you and holds you close. He draws near to you. I was able to bring a minimum comfort to my daughter's heart, but because of God's reconciling love, he brings comfort and assurance in the deepest places of the heart. We may see the outwardly actions of repentance and, and trust of the heart, but God knows the heart. He is near to your heart. The world has been in need of this eternal physician, this eternal reconciler who is Jesus. And now you enjoy the most profound fellowship of the Spirit through the bond of peace because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. There's no more separation only reconciliation and the great expectation, saints, of glorification as we persevere in repentance and trust day by day.
let's continue on in the fight of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We love you, for you have first loved us. Lord, you are our great hope. The one who proclaims the gospel to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Help us to realize, God, that indeed, you are our all in all. Help us to hold on to your unchanging hand. Amen.